Dunks and Dimes is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NBA ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. And I've uh, downloaded the Game Time app, and I, I can be one to say that this is definitely very slick. Uh, you know, I have it. You can. I, I live in the Seattle area, so it shows me everything that's going on in the area. It has pictures of the seats, uh, basically the view you would have at the game if you bought the tickets, right there on the front page of the app. So you can scroll through, and as you're scrolling through, you can see the different vantage points that you would have if you bought those tickets. So really slick, as I said, really easy to use. Uh, I would definitely recommend it. So head to the App Store or the Play Store if this sounds like something that you'd be interested in. Download the GameTime app and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to the Dunks and Dimes Fantasy Hoops Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Funston. I will be serving it up as usual for the star of the show, Eric Wong, a.k.a. Roto Evil. Uh, he is our athletic fantasy hoops expert. You can find him there uh, with his columns on a weekly basis. Uh, he also has his own website, rotoevil.com. I would encourage you to check that out. How's it going, Eric? Uh, it's going great. How are you doing, Brandon? Uh, I'm doing good, man. Just uh, it's been a busy week all around, and there's been a lot of stuff going on in the fancy hoops world that uh, we'll get to talking about here in just one moment. But first, I want to let uh, everybody know, as I said, you can find Eric's columns at uh, the Athletic, and you can follow the Athletic fantasy stuff at the Athletic FS. Um, you can get forty percent off the Athletic if you go to theAthletic.com backslash Dunks and Dimes. Uh, subscription there will also allow you to check out. All of our NBA podcasts, including No Dunks, Back to Back, Hoops Adjacent with David Aldridge, and The Daily Ding. There's several great team-specific NBA podcasts as well. Pretty much something there for every uh, kind of NBA fan. So be sure to check that out. So, uh, all right. I, I mentioned there was a lot of stuff going on in the fancy hoops landscape. Eric, you wrote about that this week on The Athletic, uh, the roster repercussions of some big injuries and a and a major suspension and i guess uh let's start with that one i first of all the injuries we're talking about steph curry we mentioned this last week in our in our podcast that we didn't know at the time if he'd end up uh having surgery on on a broken hand that turned out to be the case he sounds like he'll be out for about three months uh zach collins also hurt his shoulder in portland uh he'll have so shoulder surgery he's out four months but I want to start with John Collins because to me this was the biggest surprise. He is out for 25 games for taking an illegal growth hormone substance. Uh, he says that it was an accident um, and he was taking a supplement, didn't know it had that in there. Uh, he's going to appeal. But we know in the cases of these kind of appeals, they're usually not that successful. So John Collins was playing at a top 20 level, Eric. Um, you, as I mentioned, you wrote about this on The Athletic, kind of the ramifications of this Atlanta Hawks roster and let's start with what this means for you know the number one guy there trey young right uh you know losing john collins is a big blow to the hawks and uh he's you know good pick and roll partner for trey young in the first game without him trey did not perform very well just three for 12 from the field oh for eight from three only nine points three assists one of probably is you know definitely his worst game of the season but that's that's gonna he'll turn that around no problem the other issue is going to be who picks up the scoring slack and rebounding slack, and definitely that's where Jabari Parker comes into play, and uh, he's looking like a top pickup at the moment. He was added in several of my leagues last Sunday. Uh, I didn't bid too much on him because he had some extra scoring chances uh, when Trey Young was out, and I figured you know those those chances would go go back down, and he wasn't playing over 25 minutes a game before the Collins suspension, but now he's going to be thrust into playing 30 minutes every night, maybe 32, 33 or more. And he's going to be their second leading scorer. And so he's definitely a good pickup if he's still available. But after that is where it gets a little dicey because no one has really stepped up, right? And you have a couple of rookies, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. 
You have uh, Kevin Herter, who has yet to really uh, build on what he did last year. You have Alex Len, who has been a huge disappointment. There are other big men, uh, Damian Jones and um, Bruno Fernando, are getting minimal minutes off the bench, and it's kind of like a messy center situation there. And so no one has really uh, stepped up as a reliable third fantasy option on that team. But I definitely, you know, you want to keep an eye on those those rookies, Hunter and Reddish, uh, Kevin Herter. And I think, uh, I think Herter especially, the way he closed out last season, the way he's able to contribute in multiple categories, his three-point shot should start falling. Uh, one just has to wonder if he is 100% healthy or not. Yeah, I want to talk about Herder because, you know, he was uh, outside the top 125 last season overall. I know you liked him as one of your kind of like sleeper picks coming in. Like, what was his ceiling to you? How high did you, you know, if everything went like the way you could see things trending for Herder, what were you expecting as kind of a top end, maybe end of season ranking for him this season, given his statistical profile? Right. I think he could definitely be a top 100 uh top 100 player and a you know pretty reliable uh guard that you would start most weeks you know whenever the Hawks play four games for example um looking at his the way he closed out last year let's see uh you know after the all-star break only 10.8 points but again that was in 27 minutes a game and I do think you know the Hawks would like to play him over 30 minutes a game um, you know, two, reliable two threes a game, three plus rebounds, three assists, one steal. So it's just, you know, chipping in in all those categories. And, uh, you know, the, the shooting percentages should improve over last year. That's yet to happen. Yet this season he's gotten off to a slow start after missing off preseason. But I would say he's the most likely guy to uh, step up. Okay, so would he be – so if I if I were to say um, the one player who had the biggest fantasy bump based upon where he was with John Collins to where he will be now without John Collins, is Herter your pick or is that Parker? Who's the guy that gets the biggest percentage bump? Oh, definitely Parker just because his minutes are basically going to be increased by 10 extra minutes per game, if not more, most nights now that Collins is out. He does that – you know, he does the same stuff, right? He – He's, he knows how to score, especially inside the arc. He tacks the paint. He's a decent rebounder, and that's what they especially need with Collins out. Yeah, is there any concern? I was just going to say about his – he's never been durable. He, I guess he's way into his post-hype sleeper uh, portion of his career. I mean, this was a guy that was – uh, like one, like one of the number re- number one recruits coming out of high school, went to Duke, came into the league um, – Kind of got off to a slow start a little bit, uh, but then I think it was his third season. He averaged twenty points a game. Then he, you know, then it's basically been a mishmash of injuries, and we've kind of forgotten about him a bit since then. Uh, do you feel comfortable with him kind of being able to come in at this point and just be a durable guy that can log thirty minutes a night? Yeah, the knee injuries have kind of sapped some of his explosiveness. I think, which you know, means he's no longer, people no longer view him as a potential star, right? Because of that. But he, he knows, he knows his strengths and weaknesses and he plays, he plays to his strengths and he knows how to score. Um, not sure how durable he's going to be, but for the time being, he, he should definitely be kind of locked into lineups, I would think. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the next team, uh, mentioned here. And that's, uh, Steph Curry's injury with Golden State. And we talked about this last week, and I brought up Eric Paschal um, as a guy. I always liked at Villanova, and I was, you know, when I he was one of those guys you see taken in the second round, and I was like, ah, this guy's going to be an NBA player. Um, and you you talked about him a little bit last week, but I noticed you are uh, – you're even uh, even more so bullish this week in your column on Pascal, and I guess that's just as you're watching him get all these minutes more and more, uh, you're starting to really uh, you know feel good about this guy. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I watched that the Warriors versus uh, Blazers game pretty closely, and I was I came away very impressed with Pascal. He's uh, more explosive than than I realized. And like you said about the the second rounder thing, that's one of the things I mentioned in my column is that he plays with, you know, a lot of these second rounders, they play with the chip on the shoulder. But then for for certain guys, it's almost like 
they they play with that chip on their shoulder, but they also play with that confidence and swagger because they kind of know that they're better than a lot of guys who are picked ahead of them. And so some of the guys that I mentioned in the column that are similar to that, you have Draymond Green, Malcolm Brogdon, who we're going to talk about a little bit later, Montrez Harrell, Patrick Beverly, etc. And those guys, you know, they just play with a certain swagger and that and that chip, and it just motivates them uh, on a daily basis. And uh, yeah, Pascal's legit. If people haven't seen him, have seen him play yet, he's he's a fun player to watch. Brings that energy, super strong. And like I said, he's more uh, explosive than I realized. Yeah, I mean. You just look at his last three games, and of course they've been with Curry out. He's twenty six points, eight rebounds, two threes, and and I think that that I guess I, you would say is probably the huge part of his his fantasy potential is his ability to knock down those threes. I was just looking at his game log, and he was zero for seven outside the arc uh, to start the year, and now he's made six of his last ten. So, uh, you know, if he can if he can get you pushing somewhere between one to two three pointers a game, uh, that's going to go a long way for him, is it not? Oh yeah, I'm still not sold on his three-point uh, shot. His form's a little, a little funky. He jumps really high. He kind of does that slingshot motion, but he he does shoot it with a bunch of confidence. And I think he's one of those guys that even when his shot's not falling, he's gonna do what it takes to help his team win, and he'll he'll contribute elsewhere. He'll find a way to help out. Okay, so. I kind of jumped and skipped skipped by the alpha that that we should be expecting with Curry out, and that's D'Angelo Russell. Is there anything here with Russell? Uh, is, I guess this just means more usage for him. Uh, you know, maybe a bump in scoring. Are, are you worried at all that like maybe the increased in uh, you know the usage increase is going to mean maybe lower efficiency there for him as well? Yeah, I definitely expect lower efficiency, but the, I think the real thing to to worry about now is if the Warriors are going to be very uh, be very careful with him. And, you know, he's missed several games now with an ankle injury. And, uh, you know, if the Warriors are going to be involved in lots of blowouts moving forward, they could easily bench him at the end of games and play their younger guys. So there, he's, he's definitely a risky player to own. He's going to have some huge games moving forward. But uh, I'd be a little, a little cautious with him. I, I don't know if he's a great... Uh, trade target anymore given uh given all that's happened yeah you know i'm wondering that too is it with curry out now um you know right away right after that russell missed three games in a row uh draymond green missed three days in a row or three games in a row uh like maybe it's just the team just deciding okay with anybody that has any sort of health question marks we're just going to let them sit uh we can play the the cautionary role because we can see the writing on the wall for this season. Do you think that's something that might be going through their mind? And, and, and if so, uh, like, you know, how you, you mentioned, maybe you're going to have to be a little bit concerned about maybe early benchings and blowouts. And as I said, maybe games that aren't, the guys aren't playing that they might normally push through and play in. Yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd say that's probably going to continue. So uh, definitely cause for concern. How, so how does Draymond Green fit into this new world order here in Golden State? Well, you know, I think I said last week that Green is is still going to have some big games, but I don't see him doing that on a consistent basis. Um, you know, he's more he's always been a complimentary player, right? He's not a guy that you're going to give him the ball and be like, "Hey, score score twenty points for us." So. So especially with Pascal playing so well, I'm not sure if they're going to try and start both guys together because they're kind of better utilized at power forward. Um, so, so yeah, Pascal, Pascal need those minutes, and Green, um, you know, he might not be playing the the minutes people expect or be be having that usage that people expect. So, you know, the big big the big games will still be there, but just not on a nightly basis. Uh, so is there anybody else that we haven't talked about here that has fantasy sleeper potential? Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, Jordan Poole. Is there anybody you kind of keeping an eye on you have on your watch list as someone that could emerge out of the pack? Well, I'm still waiting for, for Cauley-Stein to step up. The mid, they just, you know, they've been limiting his minutes since he's coming off that foot injury. We'll see if uh, if that happens or not. They might continue to be really careful with him, and they, you know, they do have – other bigs uh, to give minutes to. 
The the guy that I think um, people want to pay close attention to is Kai Bowman. After after watching him play against Portland, he was very impressive. But the you know his situation and same for Damian Lee, who's played well, is that they're both two way players, and so uh, I haven't looked. Uh, too close into this situation as far as what the Warriors plan on doing, but we saw this happen with uh, Daniel House last year on the Rockets was they put into the lineup, he was playing great, and then once his uh, his limit was up, because two-way players can only spend, uh, I believe, 45 days with the NBA team, they had to enter contract negotiations with him, and then House ended up uh, missing a bunch of time because his agent wanted a bigger deal than they were willing to give. And so I'm not sure how that's going to affect the Warriors if they have to uh, try to trade away another player or release one of their guys in order to convert them to uh, full-time contracts or not. But uh, that's a situation to watch closely. Yeah, man. Talk about a team in in a weird situation this year. Definitely a team in flux. Uh, All right, let's stay out west. Let's move to Portland. Talk about Zach Collins out for, I believe, four months with a shoulder injury. How high were you on Collins before we dive into the roster repercussions of the of the Trailblazers? How high were you on him uh, going into the season? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, Collins is a really fun player to watch. He's so athletic and uh, plays with that uh, intensity that you like to see from young big men. I'd say one of my concerns in preseason was you know, you weren't quite sure how that was going to work with him and Whiteside together because Collins probably is, at least moving forward as he gets a little bit stronger, he's going to be better utilized at center. And so kind of playing two two true big men together um, would have been interesting and not quite sure if Collins has that reliable three-point range yet or not. But uh, so that was that was one of the reasons why I wasn't sure about Collins, but then was also somewhat hesitant to draft Whiteside was because of that. But now that Collins is out for four months and Nurkic isn't coming back for quite some time still, uh, yeah, Whiteside should just be a beast inside. uh, And uh, he had another big game last night. I think that will continue to uh, be the trend moving forward. He had 19 rebounds, two blocks last night uh, against a tough Clippers defense. And, uh, yeah, those 15-15 games – might uh, be happening more frequently now for Whiteside. Yeah, throwing a couple blocks. Yeah, you mentioned uh, his big games in the past two, 20 points, 15 rebounds, two blocks. Uh, your enthusiasm for Whiteside's, you know, bump in value uh, was evident in your column. Uh, you know, it seemed like you were he was the guy you were most excited about. Um, maybe we talk about the rest of the roster. I guess Damian Lillard, uh, you know, he's having a career year. I, I look at the stats, 30 points, seven assists, one and a half steals, 48% from the field. Those are all career high numbers. He's top five in fantasy in terms of player ranking. Did, did this have any, you know, this doesn't really probably impact his game. This seems like a guy who's dialed in and it's just kind of in the, uh, you know, having in, in the prime of his career right now, having a career year. Right. You know, Lillard's a stud. Anyway, you slice it, that guy's going to do his thing. He He's probably hoping, uh, <laughs> that he gets some help though, because the the Blazers, if any team needs to make a trade, I I would say it would be Portland. Uh, Barkley talked about it on Inside the NBA last night. I had mentioned it uh, in the column too, talking about Kevin Love as a potential trade target. I mean, if if any trade makes sense, it would be Love to Portland right now. So what? So let's just say that that was something that happens. Uh, so you have Kevin Love, and then Nurkic comes back. Uh, what is the timeline's kind of around the All Star break, from what I'm hearing? Is that what you're hearing as well? Like, if that happens, uh, can those guys coexist in an offense uh, okay together? Yeah, well, I think they're going to be really careful with Nurkic. I, you know, I would expect them to have a strict minutes limit on him, probably no more than 20 minutes per game in the regular season, no back-to-backs, et cetera. And so, you know, it'd be pretty easy to manage all three guys. And then in the playoffs, that's what you want is three quality big men, right? Like one of your guys gets in foul trouble, you bring in Nurkic off the bench. And so that's why I think that could be, that could work really well for them. It would be the question would be who would they have to give up to in order to get love, right? Right, and I'm just wondering. It works well in reality, but does maybe you know hurts everybody in fantasy? Mm, yeah, that's probably fair. Um, 
All right, if Nurkic, do you do you just throwing him on an IR spot if you have it in your league and waiting, or is he someone that you're not, uh, you know, because it's so far down the road, you're not you're not wasting that spot on him. If you have an IR spot, you may as well may as well do it if your team's healthy and he's available. But uh, in, in other leagues that don't have an IR spot and kind of a thin bench, I'd say it's still too early to add him to your roster. Okay. Um, so CJ McCollum seems like he's doing his thing as well in that backcourt. Uh, you mentioned Rodney Hood um, averaging 12 points per game, and you said you know he's sort of been sub- done a, maybe a little bit better than expected. The production still seems to be a little bit up and down, especially at least in the scoring department. Uh what do you think about Rodney Hood in the in the Collinsless world here? Yeah, he's definitely uh, getting getting big minutes in Portland and playing. He's played with lots of confidence ever since he joined that team last year. Uh, he had a he had a bad game last night, only five points, but he did get the the thirty minutes, which is key, and he is getting shot attempts most nights. <laughs> he's he's never been great in terms of assists. Steals or blocks, so he's really just giving you consistent points and threes. So he's he's not exactly a must own player, but but as it stands now, he's worth owning, given all the minutes he's getting. The other guy that was uh, very interesting last night, you know, lots of people liked him as a sleeper in preseason, but I kind of questioned how many minutes he was going to get as their uh, third guard was Anthony Simons, right, talented young kid. And his minutes have not, he hasn't quite gotten the minutes that he needs to be productive from a fantasy standpoint. But last night was eye-opening because he only had one point in the first three quarters, was missing a bunch of shots, and then he just kind of exploded in the fourth quarter, scored 16 of his 17 points in the fourth. But uh, most importantly was that he was getting those minutes alongside Lillard and McCollum in crunch time. And so, you know, they had a small three-guard lineup, and that will be very interesting to see if they continue to play those three guys together. Yeah, you know, Simons is somebody that my son, who is uh, 13 now, knew before I did, which means he must be really big on YouTube because that's where my son spends a lot of his time. Must be a lot of, like, uh, you know, high school and stuff, kind of highlights of him. But um Guy can score. He's an exciting young guy. Maybe he is someone that if there's a Kevin Love deal, uh, you would think that there is an excess there in the backcourt that he might be someone the Cavs would be, would be interested. Do you think that's fair to say? Oh, well, they would love to get him, but I'm guessing that Portland will not give him up for Love. And so the, the interesting, the interesting uh, idea there is they're probably more likely to give up C.J. McCollum just because Simons is the much younger player with – I, you know, dare I say higher upside than CJ because of his athleticism and um, and maybe and maybe Simon's development will allow them to to move CJ. Maybe they're confident in in Simon's taking on that starting job. And uh, so that that would be the the question they have to ask themselves is they're willing if they're willing to give up McCollum for love. OK, so. Until something happens, and I, I kind of, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense that something will happen if they, if Portland makes a deal, they're dealing from their strength of their back core, and if it's McCollum or Simon or whatever. But one way or the other, it seems like a reasonable possibility that Simon's has a big, you know, has a big role maybe in the second half of the season. What do you do with Simon's right now in terms of fantasy, though? Is there enough standalone value playing alongside Lillard and McCollum, do you think? Or is this something where you only really have to have a deep bench uh, for him to be rostered? If you're in a 12-team league and you have, you know, I don't know, say five spots on your bench, is, is he someone that you could validate keeping a, a roster spot for? Yeah, it's going to be tricky. I mean, he's he's on that fringe, and you're going to have – Nights like last night where he gets 17 points, three trays, but then you're going to have worse nights where, you know, he's he's simply not worth playing, and that's going to make you question whether he should have that roster spot or not. So, you know, there's there's going to be lots of guys on the fringe, and some nights it'll seem like he should be on your team. Some nights you'll, you'll want to add someone else. So I'd say he's not quite, uh, you know, that must-own category yet. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, well, someone who is in the must-own category, not in, in previous seasons, but definitely this season, is Brandon Ingram. So we're going to transition talk about Brandon Ingram in the lens of who we uh, – in player – player comparison lens and and you kind of brought this up it's it's fun fun thing to do is like hey brandon ingram's playing like this and here's who he reminds me of and you're gonna go big with this first one uh and you said you almost mentioned this last week but you're likening brandon ingram to a young kevin durant so uh, i'll just leave it at that and let you explain yourself right we talked about ingram last week and you know i was already thinking of the the kevin durant comp but then uh, after the podcast came out, I watched uh, their game against the Nets, and he just lit them up, 40 points, super efficient, 17 for 24 shooting from the field. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there were, there were some uh, some Durant comps for Ingram coming out of college, but those definitely died off the past two years as uh, Ingram struggled to make that jump, right? But the change of scenery has really helped him immensely and he looks like a completely different player this year and you know so for making comparisons it's important to to uh you know to clarify what we're talking about right we're not comparing ingram to kevin durant the the version that we've seen on the warriors the past few years because you know kevin durant's in his prime now now he's 30 years old and uh, he's put on a lot of muscle in recent years, but you know Durant used to be real thin, which is very similar to Ingram's frame now. Um, and so, if you look at the the comparisons at the same age, Ingram's in his fourth season at 22 years old. That's circa 2010-11 season for Durant. He had just led the league in the scoring the year before. In 2009-10, Durant led the league at 30.1 points per game, but uh, he did so making just 1.6 trays per game. He was super aggressive, uh, attempted a career-high 10.2 free throw attempts that year, and if you look at the the majority of his field goal attempts when he wasn't attacking the basket were from the mid-range area, and that's... That's always been his comfort zone. He like Durant could easily shoot more threes if he wanted to, but he's just more comfortable in the mid range, and it's just so easy for him to to get to his spots. And that's what I really like about Ingram is this season is that he's not settling for what the defense is giving him. He's just going to get to his spots. And you know, neither guy is very strong, but uh, what you're seeing from Ingram this year is that he's getting he's getting better just lowering his shoulder just kind of creating a little bit of contact just enough to create that space that he needs to rise up get his shot off you know very simple uh wrist flick with his form not too much arm action and it's just uh it's just looking really pretty for him and uh you know he's he's scoring like a beast and if you compare their their uh extra numbers right like Ingram is currently averaging uh, over seven rebounds, 4.3 assists, and he's doing that in less than 32 minutes per game. And that's actually, those numbers are higher than what Durant did in his fourth season. He only averaged 6.8 rebounds, 2.7 assists, and that was playing a whopping 39 minutes a game. And so, you know, when you start to do those kind of comparisons and you see how easily Ingram is scoring the ball, and, uh, you know, you start to realize just how talented he is, just how much star potential, star power he has, and, you know, kind of starts to sink in what his value actually is now that he's realizing his potential. Um, Because one of the things I had mentioned when someone asked if they should try consider selling high on Ingram was that other owners haven't really adjusted to what his new value is yet. They, They might not be believing in the start or they're just not quite sure what to make of it. But now, you know, when you make this kind of comparison, I think that shows um, that, you know, if you're if you're going to sell high, you better be getting a really good player in return when we're talking about that kind of star level that he's he's becoming. Yeah. You know, both both players were number two pick overall, uh, you know, similarly built. Um, The thing I like, you know, you look at him, he's playing actually two minutes less than basically what he played in in Los Angeles the last couple of years. And it's not like he wasn't asked to be the man there either, you know, so he's, he's the man there now in new Orleans and, and certainly it's a, it's a better surrounding cast, but it's just, it just feels like a guy who's just 
take it another step in terms of confidence. And I, you know, I, I out here in Seattle, Kevin Durant was a Seattle Sonic his first season. That guy was skinny and he just kind of surfed around the, around the perimeter and never went inside and basically just took a bunch of outside shots. And you could tell he was going to be good, but man, there is uh, you know, there is a lot of physical maturity and, and mental maturity that has to happen for these guys when they come into the league. So, um, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are just kind of still kind of stuck with the image they have of Ingram in Los Angeles. Um, but does this change at all? I, I, you know, I would say, man, sure seems like it's confident. And in, in when Zion Williamson comes back, uh, you know, probably not that big of a big of a change. But is there any concern there? You know, I think Williamson's slated to return sometime in December. What's your thoughts on what might happen when he does return? Right. Well, I w- yeah, I wouldn't be worried at all if you're an Ingram owner. Just he he's playing so well, and it's he's clearly going to be the more valuable valuable fantasy player than uh, Williamson, in my opinion. And I think we're just going to see uh, Zion play almost strictly center minutes. Sorry, Derek Favors owners, but he has really done nothing. He's you know missed a bunch of games already. Julio Okafor is not the answer moving forward for that team. And so it should be just a fun uh, run-and-gun team, Zion at center, Ingram getting, you know, continuing to get, being their go-to scorer and getting all the looks uh, the looks he he wants. And uh, it should be a fun team, even more fun team to watch because they're already pretty fun. All right, let's, uh, let's jump out to another breakout star from this season, Malcolm Brogdon. We talked about him a little bit. Uh, uh, he is a top 12 fantasy commodity at this point. Uh, he's been, I think, you know, everybody liked him, but he's been even better than anybody could have imagined. Um, I'll let you reveal your player comp. I'm actually old enough to remember this guy very well. I think it's a good, I think it's a good comp. So why don't you uh, throw that one out? Yeah, I mean, definitely Malcolm Brogdon deserves uh, us talking about him. And I was kind of struggling with a more modern player comp, right? Because he is a pretty unique player. Um, he's, he's not a, he's not really a high volume shooter like some of these guys, like a Curry or a Lillard. He's not uh, super explosive, you know, compared to Westbrook or someone like that. So I took it a little old school and went with Andre Miller, but with the three point range and, uh, more hops, you know, Andre was kind of a below the rim player, but, uh, you know, yeah, for the people who are old enough to remember, Andre Miller was super steady, floor general, very smart decision maker. He had a um, career assist to turnover ratio over 2.7. And, you know, anywhere close to 3.0 assist to turnover ratio is very good. And despite despite not having much hops and being a limited athlete, he still played in the NBA until he was 39. Super long career. And, uh, you know, both guys have good size and strength for that position, um, they, they play at their own pace. They're very shifty, right? They good change of direction, good change of speed. And, uh, Brogdon has all of those tools. And I think, I think what we have, what we're seeing now is that his usage was definitely limited and his assists were definitely held down, held back by having to play with Giannis because the ball was in Giannis's hands so much. And now that the ball is in his hands, you know, his, his assists have shot through the roof. And, uh, you know, obviously he's super efficient. He's almost automatic from the free throw line. He's leading the league in free throws again this year. Um, his three-point shooting has actually been a little bit off, but you know he's going to shoot well from three, chipping in across all categories. And, you know, so it's worth it's worth uh, mentioning this comparison because Andre Miller was actually a very valuable fantasy player despite not making any threes. And so when you take that into consideration and then consider that Brogdon is good for nearly two threes a game and is a better uh, shooter from the field and the free throw line and you see why he why the numbers say he's so valuable. Yeah, I appreciated Andre Miller an awful lot back in the day when he was playing. Um, yeah, you're right. I, that was it. Smart decision maker. That's what I remember most. He was a guy that kind of, other than the three-pointers, as you mentioned, was just, you know, putting numbers in, in most of the stat categories. You know, I, I would kind of liken him to the guy on the on the pickup court that you're hoping ends up on your team because he's just one of those guys that 
plays smart and makes uh, people around him better. I, I think the thing with Brogdon that, uh, you know, maybe if you look at what he's done in the past and even in college, he was never, I mean, I, it seems like he was always capable of being a really good distributor, but his, you know, his assists, even in, at Virginia were right around uh, three per game. And, and that was the way it was in Milwaukee. You mentioned, you know, he was basically the work, the son was Giannis, you know, he was the universe there in Milwaukee. So maybe that's that, but do you feel like in his current situation, the jump from like around three assists per game all the way up to basically he's averaging 10 assists right now, is that something he can sustain or are we expecting that that number probably drops down, you know, maybe seven or eight when it's all said and done? Right. 10, I mean, 10 does seem pretty high. His usage is obviously uh, super high with Oladipo still out and uh, the Pacers kind of needing him to, to hold that team together with several new pieces, right? Like Jeremy Lamb and TJ Warren are, are good scores, but they're not really playmakers. And, you know, they have two big men in Sabonis and Miles Turner that uh, he has to kind of create scoring opportunities for them. So he's, he's definitely their number one playmaker, but so I, I kind of uh, broke down Andre Miller's uh, peak years after his rookie season. So from 2001 to 2009, his averages were 15 points, 4.3 rebounds, 7.6 assists, 1.4 steals on 46% shooting from the field, 81% shooting from the line. Uh, just 1.1 threes per game for Andre Miller. Uh, like I said, that was his his biggest weakness. Um as you remember. But I would say, yeah, similar stats, I would say, for Brogdon can be expected moving forward, maybe a few more points. But yeah, those the four rebounds, seven and a half assists is kind of what I would be expecting from Brogdon moving forward like for, for the rest of his career now that he's uh, proven he's a more than capable playmaker. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, one, another guy, let's talk about a couple more of these player comps that you're throwing out here uh, is Devontae Graham and Charlotte. And Charlotte's kind of, you know, got one of those rosters where they've just decided there's a bunch of, you know, younger guys that haven't really had shots before, and they just got a ton of minutes uh, to give out. So um, it, it's been a, you know, it's been a ripe place for people to predict breakout stars. And, and one of those guys has been Devontae Graham, who I looked it up, he's top 15 in assists and three-pointers per game. Um, first of all, do you think he can continue that kind of pace, and and who are you kind of comping him to here? Right, so uh, Graham was a guy I had my eye on in uh, preseason, just knowing that Charlotte would want to play their younger guys and that uh, he would be able to get on the court. I didn't consider him a must-draft player yet at the time, but because he's getting so many minutes and he's – He's just taking a huge leap, and he's playing with so much confidence. He's definitely should be owned in in all leagues at this point. And so, as far as looking for a comp, you know, I was looking for a guard that's uh, similarly sized, you know, maybe a little bit undersized. But uh, you know, one of one of the pluses for Graham is that he played all four years in college, so he kind of came into the league NBA ready. And one of the things that helped him last year was probably playing under Tony Parker, right? So Tony Parker's retired now, but uh, Parker was able to kind of act as that mentor for Graham in his rookie season, and I'm sure that's helped him out a lot. And so the guy that makes sense to me to compare him to is Fred Van Vliet, another guy who played all four years in college. Van Vliet was actually undrafted, Devontae, a second-round pick, but both of these guys were hugely successful in college. Van Vliet... Van Vliet's uh, Wichita State team went 91-15 and 15 his final three years. He played in one Final Four. He was two-time Conference Player of the Year. And Graham was even more impressive. His team, his Kansas team, went 95-18 and 18 his final three years with him as the starter. They played in uh, three Final Fours with him. He was uh, two-time... Uh, NCAA All-Region Player, uh, Big 12 Player of the Year, um, All Big 12 All-Defense. And, you know, when when you have those type of players, you kind of wonder what what the NBA teams are looking at, right? Like, they, they proved all they needed to prove in college, and yet, like I said, uh, Graham still fell to the second round. Van Vliet still went undrafted. And, uh, you know, NBA teams are always hunting for that upside potential, right? 
but uh you know these these guys are showing that they they should have been first round picks um and you know I'm, I'm liking this comp because there's plenty of fans who are familiar with van vliet after watching him kind of explode in the nba finals helping toronto win the championship but uh i'm sure i'm sure people aren't exactly um making it a point to watch Charlotte games. They they might be aware of what they might, they might be aware of what Graham is doing stat wise, but they could also think that, you know, he's just stuffing the stat sheet on a bad team. But uh, I'm here to tell you that Devante is a very good player and uh, he's going to have a, a strong career and that he's, he's a winner too. Right. So he's going to, he's going to be fantasy relevant for a long time, I believe. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess from the perspective we're looking at it, we don't care if he's stuffing stats on a losing team as long as he's stuffing the stats, right? But uh, I think the points you mentioned are are fair, and it, it really kind of you know goes back to Malcolm Brogdon too, who was a you know is was, went four years to college at Virginia, was very successful there, was kind of their glue guy, and uh, you know and fell to the second round. So maybe these NBA teams are going to start wising up to uh, these guys, these you know, veteran college players that have really successful careers and, and put up nice numbers, and they might have to give that a little bit more weight. We will see. Let's go to one more player comp. This guy's kind of just kind of popped up on the fantasy radar. Um, he's, he's had four games this year recently, and uh, with the Wizards, he's got averaging 10 points, five rebounds, and one and a half steals in that span. That's Troy Brown. He was, uh, uh, I believe he was in the lottery uh, a couple of years ago in the NBA draft out of Oregon. Um how do you think about what do you first of all? How do you feel about Troy Brown? He's twenty one percent owned in Yahoo leagues right now. Uh, does he have uh, twelve team, twelve team roster cred in fantasy? And who are you comparing him to? Right. Well, well I should clarify that uh, my twelve team leagues are sixteen man rosters, whereas many others are just thirteen man rosters, right? So my the the main leagues I play in do go deeper than your average league. But I did add Troy Brown in several leagues um o- over the weekend. And um you know I, I felt like it was good to make a comparison for him because he still has played less than nine hundred NBA minutes thus far in his career. And so I, I came up with a comparison for a guy who's played over fifteen thousand minutes when you factor in his playoff games and has nearly identical uh, uh, size, and, at, and that's Chris Middleton. You have Troy Brown Jr. is uh, listed at 6'6", 215, Middleton a little bit bigger at 6'7", 222. But again, you know, he's, he's in his prime years. He's been able to put on a little bit of extra strength. Neither guy is super athletic. Uh, at the NBA Combine, Middleton had a max vert of just 31 inches, which I'm pretty sure uh, in my younger days I could have uh, achieved that. I, I was just going to say I, I had my vert <laughs> measured in high school and I beat that number. I'm not going to say it was by a whole lot more than that, but I did beat that number. So that makes me feel good I can jump higher than a than an NBA small forward. Yeah, no, uh, low, 30, low 30 vertical for an <laughs> NBA player is not very good. And uh, Troy Brown still was also just 33, 33-inch max vert at the Combine. Uh, but both guys are two-way players, right? They work really hard on defense. And so in, in Brown's first game of the season, he scored, uh, I believe, 15 points um, in limited minutes, made a couple of threes. And, you know, that's usually what people look at. But I was actually, like, watching his defense. And he was when he was on the court, he was the primary defender on James Harden, was isolated one-on-one in several situations. And, you know, no one can contain James Harden uh, or shut him down, I shall say. But... You know, he he held his own, was was doing an okay job of keeping him in front of him, um, absorbing the contact. Obviously, Harden's a super strong player. And then he also took a charge on Westbrook in transition with Westbrook running at him almost full speed. He flew back, you know, like 10 feet on the ground after that. But, uh, you know, it shows he's not afraid to put his body on the line and is willing to work hard on defense, which is what's going to earn him those minutes that he needs to put up stats, right? Um, I also like that both guys are capable ball handlers. I think I read that Brown played a lot of point guard growing up. So that helps with his uh, ability to be a um, secondary ball handler. And obviously like people, the Chris, the people, the Chris Middleton that people know now is a very good kind of deadly three point shooter, but it wasn't that it wasn't like that for him uh, 
in college, Middleton uh, made just 32% of his threes. He shot just 31% from three as a rookie. But then that jumped to 41% in his second year. And obviously it helps that he's been playing with Giannis, getting lots of open looks since then. Um, and so, you know, that's that's very intriguing for Troy Brown's future. I'm not sure if he's going to be, you know, a super, uh, super reliable fantasy player this season. He's uh, still just 20 years old. And even in Middleton's second NBA season, he got 30 minutes a game, but still his numbers were pretty modest. Uh, 12.1 points, 3.8 rebounds, one steal, 1.53s per game. And that was at the age of 22, whereas Troy Brown is a couple years younger than that. So he's going to be up and down. He's still very young. But uh, I like that comp, and definitely I like Troy Brown's future. So he's a, a guy that people should be keeping an eye on. Yeah, I was going to ask, where, like, what do you think is kind of his upside minutes um, like that he'll settle into? He was, he was out early in the year because of a calf injury. He's averaging 21 and a half minutes so far. Like, how much higher uh, do you think that can go on this current roster? Right. Well, I think they're, I think they're ready to insert him into the starting lineup. And I, I'm thinking he'll be playing 30, 32 minutes a game moving forward. He, he's definitely a big piece to their future. And, uh, you know, when his three-point ball is, is falling, he's going to be having some good games. I'm not sure if, that, if that's going to be consistent or not. But, uh, yeah, I think he'll be uh, a guy to watch closely if he's available in uh, deeper leagues. All right, uh, so there we had four player comps. Uh, I liked it, and I think uh, you know the the Ingram Durant comparison is is a fun one, and so we'll see if if that bears out. Uh, whether it does or not, there's no denying that Brandon Ingram's taken a major step forward this season, and his future looks very bright. Uh, let's talk about someone else's future. Let's jump to our mailbag here and talk about Andre Drummond in Detroit, who is uh, absolutely killing it. Uh, looking on basketball monster right now. He's ranked number seven overall. Uh, so we're going to jump into the mailbag here and ask about him. The question is, Eric, how would you value Drummond now? Is he a first rounder in a redraft? Would you trade him for Joel Embiid or no, or Jokic? Uh, or is that not enough anymore? I know Blake Griffin is coming back and thinking of selling high on Drummond while his value is at peak. And that's from Ian G. All right, I thought this was a good question and one that I'm sure uh, Drummond owners are thinking about how Blake Griffin's re- return is going to impact him. But I would say, you know, the smart move would just be to hold on right now because until until we see Blake on the court, we we don't know what exactly. Uh, that's going to look like just as, as far as his health is concerned, right? Like Blake could easily come back and have a good week, but then start experiencing uh, health issues again. So uh, I would say a smart move is just to hold on. You're probably, you know, unless you're getting, like you said, uh, you know, he's, he's top seven right now. So unless you're getting one of the, the top five players back, then you may as well just hang on and, uh, and see, see if Griffin can stay healthy or not. Yeah, where are you at on just quickly? Where are you at on Griffin now compared to where you were at the start of the season? Have, have has your kind of like you know thoughts on him dimmed at all? Or are you still you still looking forward to him when he com- does come back? Well, I mean, if Pist- if the Pistons want to compete for the playoffs, then they need Griffin at you know near near peak form because uh, I mean he had a hell of a year last year and they still miss the playoffs, right? So or no, did did they were the eighth seed? I, I, um, I think maybe I mean I think maybe they snuck into the eighth seed, but uh, but and that but that was with Griffin playing almost the entire season and like I said playing at pretty much peak form. So it's like if, if he's if he's not close to that, then they really have no chance of making the playoffs. So I mean, so still he, he says he's feeling better, and uh, you know it's just a matter of him being able to stay on the court. I think. Uh, all right, so let's do one more um, kind of sort of finishing where we started. Uh, this is a it's a good question. This is Eric thoughts on trading Steph Curry and Terry Rozier for Trey Young and DeAndre Ayton. I like that two guys that are out uh, for a period of time. This guy says he's a 10 team head to head with no turnovers. He still has Kyrie and Dame as his top tier keepers. That's from Scott S. So it's basically 
do you trade Stefan Rozier for for uh, Trey Young and DeAndre Ayton? Yeah, so when I saw this question, I was pretty shocked that this was would even be possible, and I'm not sure if he's thinking of proposing it or if this this offer was actually sent to him. And so I already told him in the comments that he should make this deal ASAP. And I'm guessing the only reason the the um, the other owner would consider it is because it's a head-to-head league, right? And so maybe that guy is just focused on Curry coming back for the playoffs, for the head-to-head playoffs. Uh, but in my opinion, if you can get Trey Young for Steph Curry and, I mean, Aiton... Aiden for over Rogier is definitely looking like a win win now too, even though you have to wait another uh, month plus for Aiden to come back. But just being able to swap an injured Curry for Trey Young is is a sweet deal. So Scott, if you can do that deal still, I suggest making it hitting the accept, accept button ASAP. <laughs> Yeah, what a backcourt. You, you know, start the year with Steph and Kyrie and, and Dame, and then you know now you can swap out Steph for Trey Young. That's a, that's a pretty dominant backcourt, no doubt. Uh, all right, Eric. Well, that's uh, all the time we have for today. Uh, appreciate your time. Any other last any other last thoughts? Uh, anything you're watching this weekend? We should mention that uh, yeah, if people want to send in their questions, because I've been kind of looking at either uh, on my Twitter feed or people asking questions uh, in the comments to my columns, but we've set up a specific email for people to send their questions to. So that's uh, dunks and dimes and is spelled out dunks and dimes at theathletic.com. You can email your questions and we'll do our best to answer them on the podcast. Absolutely. Love your question. So yeah, again, dunks and dimes at the athletic.com. And if you want to uh, reach out to us on Twitter, you can, uh, you can follow me at Brandon Funston. Eric is at Roto evil. And again, he has the Roto website that I encourage you to check out. Encourage you to check out his stuff on the athletic. As I mentioned off the top, he has a column out about uh, roster re- repercussions. Uh, we just talked about all those, the big ones here, but uh, Eric's always a great read and you You'll want to check that out. And if you want to get 40% off The Athletic, go to theathletic.com backslash dunks and dimes. Um, you know, we got a bunch of uh, NBA podcasts that you can get to, ad-free podcasts that are available on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, and if you enjoy these shows, we always encourage you to give us a quick rating and review. So with that, we thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you back with us next Friday on Dunks and Dimes. 